Well, this morning, it is really a great joy for me uh, to welcome to Grace and Peace my former pastor, my theological mentor, and my good friend, uh, Reverend Dr. Bob Lethem. Bob came out to Greater Cincinnati in June of, 19, excuse me, June of 2007 to preach my ordination service. And a few months ago, I got wind that he was coming out to Kentucky to uh, speak at a conference, a theology conference hosted by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. So this past uh, Friday and Saturday, I, along with about 150 folks from around the country, were together uh, really participating in a conference where we were beginning to explore this great mystery of the Trinity. Um, Dr. Lethem is a, a well-known theologian in the Presbyterian and Reformed, indeed, the Reformed world and the Orthodox Christian world, um, and it is a real privilege for us to have him with us today to bring us God's Word, the Holy Trinity, and you. So, uh, Bob, please come up and bring us God's Word. Thank you very much, Lee. Um, indeed, I've spent 28 years in this country, as I'm sure you can tell from my accent. And it's a pleasure to be back in Kentucky. I've only been here a couple of times, but it's, uh, I'm very impressed by the scenery on the way up from, I was going to say Louisville, but I understand you say Louisville. <laughs> The Holy Trinity and you. Now that's a very big topic and we're going to try and deal with it in about 20-25 minutes. I'm going to say a few things in introduction and then we're going to refer to a range of passages in the Bible. Now firstly, the Trinity, love and personhood. Now that sounds rather abstract, but I think you'll see that it's not. There are a number of ideas floating around in our world about, what, about who God is and what is divine. That it's very common to equate God with nature. Uh, the New Age movement is a classic example. The veneration of the earth, environmentalism and so on. We've all heard the expression about Mother Earth or Mother Nature. All things, in other words, are divine under such thinking. This is known as pantheism. Pan means everything, and theism refers to what is divine. Now, if that were so, consequences follow. Ideas just don't float around in the air. Actual practical things occur as a result. It means, for example, that an insect has as much value as you or I do. In fact, some of you may recall years ago there was an incident out in the West where a mother was attacked and killed by a mountain lion. The mountain lion was then shot and a collection of money was made for the ch children who survived and for the cubs left behind by the mountain lion. More money was collected for the cubs than for the children. And that tells a story about where our culture has been going and is going. Now, if all things are divine, of course, there's no basis whatever 
for saying what is right and wrong. Um, because if an insect has as much value as you do, uh, there's no standard by which to measure our actions. The ethics and the behaviour of Pol Pot, of Hitler and of others, are no worse or no better than those of Mother Teresa. So then, that's the consequence, I would suggest, or one of the results of viewing the whole of nature as divine. But there's another strand, of course, particularly uh, demonstrated by Islam, in which God is seen as some kind of undifferentiated being. The technical term would be a monad. Just one entity, one thing. For, is for Islam, Allah is God. And there's no distinctions within Allah. Now if that were so, you could not have a personal God. You could not have a God who is love. Love requires more than one person, as C.S. Lewis argued years ago. And without love, you can't have any such thing as personhood. And with Islam, in fact, it is power which is at the heart. Allah it has power, and Allah's followers are to submit, which is, in fact, the word Islam. Submission to the will of Allah. Love doesn't enter into it because there's no internal relation within the, the God they claim to worship. And that's a stark and a horrific idea. Without love and without personhood at the heart of life, living would be extremely barren. But God, to say that God is the Trinity, however, as he has revealed himself in both Old and New Testaments, is in fact to say that God is, a un, is an undivided being who exists in three distinct ways. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A union of love. And that love is at the heart of who God is. And it's at the heart of the universe which he has made. So that in the midst of the, the turmoil in this world caused by sin and human folly, we know that ultimately it is, the, it is a personal God we worship. And a God who is a God of love. And we'll say more about that in a minute. Now that tells us too something. It's common for Christians simply to refer to God as God or as the Lord. And both of those, of course, are absolutely correct. But I think we need to cultivate the habit, and we'll explain why in a few minutes, of thinking very clearly that the God we worship and serve is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of us may also think that the Trinity is a mathematical conundrum removed from everyday life. That is false. Hence the title of this sermon, The Holy Trinity and You. 
is very directly applies to you and I here in this building and to indeed the entire world. So that leads me on to the second point, the Trinity in action. You can see as you read through the Bible from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation that there are fingerprints all over it which disclose the fact that our God is tri-personal, the Father, Son and Spirit. We read from Genesis earlier for a very good reason. There in creation we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light. God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God. And later on in the chapter, it, it, we've read it, I'm sure, many times and heard it read publicly. It's like water off a duck's back. But it stands out in this chapter. It stands out because it's the only point in Genesis 1 where there is this direct speech, this self-deliberation by God. It, it's as if the author of Genesis had taken a highlighter and highlighted that section in bright fluorescent yellow. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so he made man, male and female, both man with a capital M, or human, related to one another. Different, but yet identical. Reflecting the God who made them. Let us make man in our image. So right at the very beginning, you have hints there, like you'd find, say, in a detective novel, which you, you don't really pick the hints up, the clues right away, but then as you go back and read the book again or see the movie the second time, you can say, yes, here, there, and everywhere, there are, there are these glimpses, these, these clues as to the identity of the culprit. Well, here, the identity is the identity of God. Now, in salvation, remember John's Gospel, how often Jesus says, I came not to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. The Father sends the Son into the world. At his birth, Jesus was conceived, sent by the Father, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Trinity in action at the very conception of Jesus. At his baptism, Jesus went down into the river Jordan and when he emerged from the waters, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father declaring that Jesus was his Son and the Spirit coming down and resting upon him and anointing him. Then on the cross, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus, Hebrews chapter 9, offered himself up through the eternal spirit to the Father. What happened on the cross was something in which all three persons were in the Trinity were involved. And then how about the resurrection? 
Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Wonderful passage here with tremendous encouragement for us. Um, Paul says there, Since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Since, or if, if the word can mean since as well as if, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. See the resurrection. Jesus the Son was raised by the Spirit of the Father. The Father raised Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Resurrection, all three persons of the Trinity engaged. But there's more to it than that. Since the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, the Father, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit. Our resurrection, in the indefinite future, the unknown future, we don't know when it will take place, but what we do know is that the Spirit will raise us in union with Christ, the Spirit of the Father. And the point is this, Paul says, through his Spirit who dwells in you. So right now, here and now, we have been given access by the grace of God to the life the Holy Spirit grants us, which is resurrection life, which was displayed way back then in 30 AD when Jesus, the Son of God, was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father and will be shown to us too when we too are raised and transformed when Christ returns. And the Spirit dwells in us now. It's a movement, in other words, of God in grace to us by his Son and by the Holy Spirit. Our salvation has been achieved by the triune God in action. A word or two, thirdly, about our response. We as the Christian church and individually members of it share and participate in this movement of God's grace. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul addresses the church there, Jew and Gentile, major division at the time, but one in Christ. And he says, through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, whoever we are in the church, we both, through Christ, have access by one Spirit to the Father. In other words, Christian experience is experience of fellowship, communion, and union with God, the Holy Trinity. When we pray, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to pray through Christ the Mediator to the Father.
prayer, worship, the Christian life is, is breathing in the atmosphere, we might say, of God, the Holy Trinity. And so while this is something which is far, far greater than our minds can even begin to fathom, it is nevertheless the experience of every Christian believer. You, know, you can take a teacup and you can go across to the East Coast and you can dip that cup into the, into the ocean and you can bring it up and you can say, this, the content of this teacup is truly the Atlantic Ocean. But yet the ocean is vast, vastly greater than what you can contain in that cup. That, that sample is truly from that same ocean. And so each and every one of us as Christians is enabled to participate and have fellowship in the life of the triune God by his grace, while at the same time this is, this is like standing on the seashore without simply our toes in the water in comparison. We'll go on exploring that for the rest of our lives and for the whole of eternity. And we'll only begin to get into the deeper waters. The passage we read from John 4 demonstrates that too. There was the Samaritan woman and Jesus, and the question, a quite legitimate question at the time, was where should we worship? Jerusalem, where the Jews did, or here in Samaria, as we Samaritans do? And Jesus says, well, we're, we're right, the, the Jews are right, it should be in Jerusalem. But the point is this, the hour is coming when those who worship will, it won't matter whether it's Jerusalem or Samaria, they worship in spirit and in truth. Now the point is this, that virtually every reference in the Gospel of John to the word which is translated spirit, there's only about two or three exceptions, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And also in John, the truth is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is in fact implying there is that Christian worship, Christian worship is Trinitarian. We worship the Father through his Son, by the Holy Spirit, the three being one indivisible being. Our worship is, is, is Trinitarian. So in other words, we can say the Holy Trinity and you is very directly relevant to us if we're Christian. And indeed to anyone else who isn't because it is God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit who created the, the entire universe, including those who do not believe or do not yet believe in him. This then is what prayer and worship are at root. But there's one other point too, of a very practical nature. There's a very famous passage in Paul's letters, in Philippians chapter 2, where this is brought out in quite vivid and graphic ways. Paul was addressing the church at Philippi, and was countering certain problems which existed in that church. 
And he says this, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as really the best translation here as recent scholarship has shown is did not count equality with God as something to be exploited for his own advantage but himself he emptied taking the form of a servant Jesus Christ Paul says is in this sense a model for us and he's a model in this way some ways which we cannot remotely copy but some which we can he was and is eternally of the same identical status and being as God he was and, and is the participle is present continuous in the form of God and equal to God but he did not use that status and exploit it for his own advantage rather he took the form of a slave a servant and he did so by becoming man by becoming human he who was eternally God the eternal son of God emptied himself not by subtracting his deity but by adding humanity he took a lowly place. He was conceived. He was born. He grew. He had to eat and drink. He suffered bereavement. He suffered sorrow and disappointment and frustration. Eventually he died and was buried. He took the lowest place. He who was in the form of God. That is what Christ the Son of God is like. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, and indeed to us here and to the church down the ages, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. This is what Christ is like. But it also reflects what God is like. Because Christ's humbling of himself did not begin at the cross and it didn't begin when he was became incarnate either it stemmed from his determination in eternity being in the form of God to add the form of a servant to become man for us and our salvation in eternity he determined to empty himself, to humble himself, to look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And indeed, the Father advances his kingdom by glorifying the Son. The Son brings glory to the Father. When Jesus is exalted, Paul says, to the right hand of the Father, it is to the glory of God the Father. And in turn, the Spirit speaks not of himself, but of Christ. So God, the Holy Trinity, is a union of the three who are fully and exhaustively and un in undiminished form 
infinite love, seeking, we might say, the interests of the other. So, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. The Holy Trinity and us, you and me. It places upon us this great privilege and great responsibility to love one another because that is what Christ is like. That is what the eternal God is like. Yes, he's just. Yes, there will be a final judgment. He's righteous. He's holy. But his holiness and his righteousness spring from his eternal being in which, as Jesus says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Let us therefore ask him for his grace and strength to grow in our knowledge of God and to grow also by his immeasurable grace in following that path which he has placed before us. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we give thanks to you for who you are, the eternal God, the creator of heaven and earth, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, ever one God. We worship you for your creation and for your salvation. We thank you, our Father, that you sent your Son when the fullness of time had come to deliver us from sin and that you have sent the Spirit of your Son into our hearts, crying, Father. We ask that you would help us to approach you, the Father, through the Son, in prayer, in worship, and by your grace and help to seek to look not only to our own interests, but to those of others too. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our hymn of response God has talked about is hymn number 647. How sweet.